Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. All right. Well, Shabbat Shalom. Uh, we're in a series on the epistle of 1 John. Today's part three of that series. The prior parts, I believe, were up on our, our, our uh, YouTube and on our um, webpage as well, if you want to catch the prior parts. We're going to look today at the next passage in our text, which is 1 John 1, 5 through 7, and the themes of walking in the light, uh, fellowship with God, and the hindrances to that fellowship. So turn with me to 1 John, the epistle of 1 John, chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. This is the message we've heard from him, and we declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, And yet walk in darkness, we lie and don't live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Yeshua, his son, purifies us from all sin. John says you can have fellowship with God himself through Yeshua, the Messiah. But he also says there are obstacles to that fellowship. And he's going to go on to discuss three particular obstacles, three ways in which that fellowship with God is blocked. Now, fellowship with the Lord, it's not just believing in God. It's sharing in God, sharing in the life of God. John says in verses 3 and 4, we looked at last time, that he has full joy through his fellowship with God, and he wants you to have it as well. Now, this word fellowship in Greek is the famous word koinonia. It comes from koine, meaning common. Koinonia means we share something in common with God. So fellowship goes way beyond just believing in God. It goes way beyond just obeying God's law. The fellowship that John's talking about and says that you can have as well in Messiah is actually sharing in God. Rabbinic Judaism cannot give that to you. Only the spirit of Yeshua dwelling within you can give that to you. But John goes on in this passage to give us a warning. Look at 1 John 1, verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and we don't live out the truth. John is going to go on to discuss uh, why you don't enjoy fellowship with God the way you ought to. Now, after the message on 1 John a few weeks ago, which we describe this incredible fellowship with God that we're offered, but also warning of the possibility of self-deception and of over-reliance on some kind of mechanical prayer formula. A few of you, a few people came up and approached me and said, well, I'm not even sure, David, that I'm a believer, a true Yeshua follower. Uh, They said, if the goal of the gospel is to really know the Lord in an intimate, experiential way, and have true communion and fellowship and relationship with him, not just believe in him in a general way, why aren't I experiencing that? Why don't I have that kind of joy in the Lord? And John says the answer is there are certain things that block that fellowship and get in the way. And therefore, if you want to test your own fellowship and the quality of your fellowship and even the reality of your fellowship with God. You need to make sure that you're right with God in these three ways. Now, as a preliminary note, uh, one reason why many people don't have fellowship with God 
is because they don't understand what's available. Uh, and that once you understand what's available, and assuming you are a true believer, look on the overhead, you often don't have fellowship due to these three obstacles. Number one, the conscience obstacle, which, which, which results from your sin and gives you a guilty conscience. Number two, the relational obstacle, uh, including unforgiveness against other people in your relationships. And number three, the doctrinal obstacle, uh, because you're weak in the essentials of the faith of the gospel of Yeshua. And we're just going to introduce uh, these three obstacles today because John is going to go on in much more detail to discuss them throughout the rest of his whole epistle. So today is going to almost be like a survey, a, 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 a helicopter ride. So let's start by asking this preliminary question, though, which we're going to really focus on today. What is fellowship with God? Now, my job as your rabbi is to comfort the disturbed and to disturb the comfortable. <laughs> I don't want to comfort the comfortable or disturb the disturbed. <laughs> you see, if you're overly comfortable with your spiritual state, you need to be disturbed. And if you're overly disturbed, you need to be comforted. Friends, if you are a real born-again Yeshua follower in which the Holy Spirit resides within you, God will let you know his presence. He will give you manifestations of his reality. God will be more than just a name. He'll be more than just an idea. And the closest analogy to fellowship with God that we have is marriage. Consider a husband and the wife. They're walking together down the street. All of a sudden, the husband takes his wife in his arms. And he says, I love you. And he kisses her. Now, in that moment, are they more married than they were two minutes ago? No. Their legal relationship has not changed at all. But if that's you, your enjoyment and experience of that relationship has just gone through the roof. That's what fellowship with God is like. And therefore, just as in marriage, fellowship, of course, is subject to degrees. There are times in your marriage where, although you know you're married legally, uh, you're not responding to your spouse with the deep affection and joy and passion that you once had. There's not the same intimacy there once was. Now, sometimes it's just because you're a very busy time of your life, and you're almost uh, relating to your spouse uh, like a roommate. But the point is, if you're married for any length of time, there are times when you're not, ex- uh, you're not, experiencing, this, this, when, when you're not experiencing the same level of fellowship and love and affection as when you were first married. Your enjoyment of that relationship is subject to degrees. But there will be times, if you're really married, when you're in each other's arms, and there's a deep unity and a coming together, and in the same way, if you are a Yeshua follower, a Messianic believer, there are times when Yeshua has become and does become that kind of reality to you in your life. Now, for some of you, because of your temperament, it may, it may not always be this deep emotional experience. For others, it is profoundly emotional. And you weep for joy at the Lord's presence. But either way, whether you show it emotionally or not, you can have this experience of the Lord's intimate presence in your life. It's the same thing in marriage. You may be deeply touched 
but not as emotionally expressive as someone else because of your difference in your emotional makeup and your temperament. But if you are a born-again believer, when you, where, where you have made a commitment to Yeshua as your Lord, and you've been filled with his spirit, the spirit of Messiah, there's been manifestations of God's intimate presence and fellowship in your life. Now, what is the nature of that manifestation? You become intimate with the Lord when the truth of the gospel begins to shine in your heart. Yeshua, in John 16, says to the apostles, the spirit of holiness will come to you. In John 16, 14, he says, the spirit of holiness will glorify me. The Holy Spirit will glorify me because it's from me that he'll receive that which he will now make known to you. There are some people, of course, who, who go to extremes when, when they claim to say what the Holy Spirit is telling them. Uh, so, for example, there are people who might come up to you and say, the Holy Spirit just told me you need to lend me $500. <laughs> now, if you think I'm exaggerating, you haven't been around these groups. <laughs> they say, that's how God manifests himself to me. I was praying. It, came, it just became so obvious that he wanted me to go to you and get that money. <laughs> Or how about this one? A total stranger of the opposite sex comes up to you in shul, says, God spoke to me. I really felt his presence. And he told me that we're supposed to be married. <laughs> and if you've never heard such stuff, you just haven't been around the greater, greater believing movement, especially the Pentecostal movement. You haven't been around it long enough. <laughs> but that's not what Yeshua was talking about here in John 16 when he discussed the Holy Spirit revealing things to you. Yeshua says the work of the Holy Spirit is to come and to manifest what I have told you myself. He gave the apostles lots of teaching, and he said, you are not going to understand it all right now. But when the Spirit comes, he will take what's of mine, he'll take my words, and he'll make them known to you. He'll glorify me. He'll make my word vivid to you. He'll make my words understandable to you. They will catch fire in your heart. You'll realize their meaning. Uh, and you'll see my glory. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Not so much to give you new words, but to take Yeshua's words on the overhead, and take Yeshua's words and to make them new. To illuminate the scriptures to your mind. And especially to manifest Yeshua. The word of the Lord shows you the Lord of the word. The Holy Spirit, the Ruach Kodesh, shows you how every part of the Bible is ultimately all about him, all about Yeshua. The history is all about Yeshua. The law, the Torah is all about Yeshua. The poetry is all about Yeshua. The wisdom literature is all about Yeshua. The prophecies, of course, are all about Yeshua. Every part of the Bible is ultimately about the Messiah. Indeed, Yeshua told the Pharisees this in John 5.39, that you search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. And therefore, what the Holy Spirit does is he comes to you and he illuminates God's word and he glorifies Yeshua. So let's say, for example, someone has mistreated you and you can't forgive them. What do you need? You can cry out, Lord, help me to forgive. But the Lord doesn't usually work just by zapping you and making your wrong thoughts and your temptations and your spiritual struggles just disappear. No, that's not the way he usually works. What Yeshua says in the Gospels, I had mercy on you, 
despite your sins. So if you see what I've done for you, despite the way you've treated me, you'll be able to forgive others despite the way they've treated you. On the overhead, if you can't stop looking at your own wounds and what people have done to you, it's because you're not looking at his wounds and what he has suffered for you. If you're able to find his wounds more glorious, more vivid, more real than your own, then you can say, what happened to me is nothing compared to that, compared to what you, Yeshua, have endured. Uh, and you endured them because of my sins. That, that My sins put you on the cross. And you endured them for me. You took my punishment so that I could be saved by trusting in you uh, and dying to my old life and living anew in you, Yeshua where I no longer live, but you live in me. And if you, Yeshua, you, if you can forgive uh, my infinite sins against you, I can forgive someone else's finite sins against me. This will give you the freedom you need to forgive others. You see, if you, you don't need someone, some abstract visitation from God you know, to zap you with this power to forgive. No, you need fellowship with him. You need the Holy Spirit to come and to make the truth of God's word shine in your soul. You need the truth of God's word to get big, to get vivid, to explode in your soul. You're having fellowship with God when the mind descends into the heart. When the Holy Spirit comes and glorifies Yeshua and the truths of God's word to you. He makes them glorious. And then they begin to thrill you. Uh, or convict you, either way, uh, or comfort you, uh, or exhort you, pick you up, set you down, but they're alive. The Holy Spirit makes God's word alive to you. You sense the Lord speaking to you through his word. So, for example, you're struggling with resentment, if, or if you're struggling with, with depression, or you're struggling with worry, or you're struggling with lust or addiction or jealousy, run to God's word. Pursue fellowship with the Lord. I'm going to call prayer read the word. You take a passage and you meditate on it, and you pray to the Lord about the truths in that passage. The main thing you need in order to address whatever issues, whatever sin patterns you're struggling with, is to have the Holy Spirit come and glorify Yeshua in your eyes. And when that happens, to some degree, sometimes it's soft and sweet. Sometimes it's powerful and dramatic. Sometimes it's a babbling brook. Sometimes it's a tidal wave. But either way, you will know this fellowship with God. And if you are a born-again believer, you will experience this from time to time. So, for example, look at Ephesians 3, verse 16, where Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the Holy Spirit in your inner man, so that Messiah may dwell in your heart through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have power together with all the saints to do what? To grasp how long and wide and high and deep is the love of Messiah. And to know that love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, what's Paul praying for here? He's broken down for us what fellowship means. 
He's praying that as believers, we'll have the power to grasp how long and deep and wide and high is the love of Messiah and to know that love. Now, this word grasp, it's katalambano in the Greek. It means to surround or to capture. It's a military term. It means to surround a fortress and to knock down its walls and to take it over. And Paul says, I'm praying that the Spirit will come and give you the power to grasp how long and high and wide and deep is the love of Messiah for you. The power to grasp, that means Yeshua's love is not just something you know about, but that you experience intimately, that you're filled with the fullness of God. This is the reason you're struggling with bitterness. This is the reason you're struggling with with unforgiveness. This is why you're struggling with doubt and worry. It's the reason you're struggling with temptation and addiction. Because although you may know intellectually that God loves you, you haven't grasped it. It hasn't taken you over. It hasn't knocked you down flat. It hasn't captured your heart. So you need to be daily in the word and seeking fellowship with the Lord. Sometimes it'll be a still, small voice. Sometimes a babbling brook. Sometimes a tidal wave. On the overhead, British theology professor in the 19th century, uh, Daniel Steele, he wrote this about his fellowship with God. This is from his journal. He says, every week, sometimes every day now, a pressure of his great love comes down upon my heart in such measure as to make my whole being groan beneath the almost unsupportable plethora, this overabundance of joy. He's unlocked every apartment of my being and filled and flooded them with the light of his radiant presence. The inner spot's been touched and its flintiness has been melted in the presence of love divine, all loves exceeding. Yeshua has become one altogether lovely to me. Now, this is not... This writer is not just some overly emotional Pentecostal type person. No, (laughs) he was a British theology professor in Victorian England. (laughs) But he had regular fellowship with God in an intimate and life-giving and joy-filled way. It didn't happen all the time, but he began experiencing it more and more as he pressed into the Lord. This is the adventure This is the romance of being a messianic believer. You are on a voyage, an odyssey, an adventure, a quest. He says, I I actively sought fellowship with the Lord, and and it began increasing week by week. So what about you? Is this how your spiritual life goes? If not, press into Yeshua. He passionately desires fellowship with you. On the overhead, notice how Daniel Steele, he talks about the Lord touching his inner being, filling him with spiritual joy, flooding him with the light of Messiah's radiant presence. The Lord is helping him now to grasp how long and wide and deep and high is Messiah's love for him. The truth begins to shine. The mind descends into the heart. Things that were only intellectual now begin to get connected. You sense the glory of God in your life. Yeshua says, the Holy Spirit will come and glorify me in your life. 
This word glory, Hebrew kavod, it literally means weight or substance. The Holy Spirit will glorify Yeshua in your life mentally, emotionally, uh, volitionally. He'll make Yeshua more weighty to you, uh, more important, more glorious. If you, if you say, yes, I know, of course, Yeshua died for my sins, but the truth is I hate this other person uh, who did me wrong. Uh, I can't forgive them. Then what this person has done to you has captured the glory in your life. It has the weight, the significance, the importance. And what Yeshua has done for you in comparison is light. And what this person has done to you is heavy. The opposite of what it should be on the overhead. Fellowship with God glorifies God. It makes him big in your eyes. The truth of God's word begins to shine. And then the weight of your life, the center of gravity of your life shifts to what Yeshua has done and who he is. Now, one of the ways, ironically, that you know you're having fellowship with God is that you're shocked by it. <laughs> you may know God loves you, so this truth, it shouldn't surprise you. But when you're having true fellowship with God, it does surprise you because it reveals his love to you in a fresh and new and surprising and joyous and unexpected and glorious way. So it utterly surprises you. It's like, you see, it's like you've never seen it before. And that's how you often feel when you're having fellowship with God. That's how you know. You're contemplating the Lord. And suddenly you say to him, wow, you really love me. Years ago, uh, Sally Fields was accepting an Oscar award for her leading role in this movie, Norma Ray. And she couldn't believe it. And as she was up front accepting the Oscar, she said, Wow, you really love me. <laughs> Every time you have fellowship with God in holy contemplation, you find it ever new, uh, and he impresses his great love upon you. Uh, and he presses it on your heart, and you cry out to Yeshua. You say, you love me. <laughs> you really love me. And it feels brand new in your soul. And it's like you're discovering it for the first time. So what is this fellowship? Uh, how do I seek it? One way is holy contemplation of God's word. St. Augustine in the 4th century, John Owen, a Puritan leader in the 17th century, they both wrote about knowing God. And they both said there are the same three stages to this. Here's what John Owen says on the overhead. Remember, it's written in 17th century English. It says, in experiencing God's presence, first comes the exercise of the mind, fixing your thoughts and your meditations on spiritual truths. Next comes the inclination of all your affections. All your affections are turned toward these things whereby they cleave, they cleave to these spiritual truths and they engage your emotions. And thirdly, finally, comes a relish and a savor in which the sweetness and satisfaction of the spiritual life occurs. And you taste and experience uh, that God is gracious, but the love of Messiah is better than wine. If you settle, he says, from your intellectual notions and, and doctrines about Messiah, you will find no transforming power or efficacy communicated to you. But when in the presence of the Holy Spirit, you cleave unto Yeshua with, 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 with full purpose of heart, your mind fills up with thoughts of delight in him. And then change in your character will proceed from him uh, to purify you, to increase your holiness and fill you with joy unspeakable and full of glory. 
Now, what's he saying? He's saying there are three parts to fellowship with God. First, he says, begins with the exercise of your mind. You must study the word. You've got to take a passage of scripture, figure out what it says in context, and meditate on the truths that God wants to teach you from this passage. Yeshua says, the Holy Spirit will take what's mine, my words, what I taught my disciples, and make it known to you. So you need to be studying Yeshua's words. You can't jump over this first key step. You need to learn how to study the scriptures, what the text is saying, and fix your mind on God's word. Second, next comes the inclination of your affections toward toward these truths. Uh, This is called contemplation. This is the missing link between Bible study and prayer. It's a cross or blend between the two of them. Most people, they intellectually study the Bible, and then they bring out their prayer list. And they miss this key middle step. Indeed, it's this middle step of contemplation or meditation that fellowship with the Lord happens. And basically, what what meditation is, is this. You take the Word of God you just studied, and you pray it in, and you look for connections, and you think about the connections God wants to show you. So on the overhead, here are five questions you can use to help your biblical meditation. You take a text, you ask, number one, how can I praise the Lord from this text? What does this text tell me that shows me that God is great? Number two, how can I confess my sins on the basis of this text? What does this text tell me about what's wrong with me? Number three, if this text is true, what wrong behavior or what harmful emotions, what false attitudes result in me when I forget about this text? Your sins and ungodly habit patterns and your attitudes occur because you're forgetting something, some part of God's truth, and that his truth is not shining in you. Some part of his truth isn't weighty enough and glorious enough to you. Number four. What should I be aspiring to based on on, on this word? What should I be pursuing based on on these verses I've just studied? And then number five, Lord, why are you telling me this and showing me this today? So what you do with the text you're studying, you find these connections. And you ask, what does it show me about God? What does it show me about me? You're taking God's truths and you're bringing them down into your heart. And when you do this, when you pray it in, when you say, Lord, I praise you for this. I confess to you for this. Lord, I, I see what, what's wrong with me uh, because of this text. You think of all these practical, practical connections, and then sometimes, not always, but sometimes the light of God's love and grace just shines in your heart. It shines in your soul in a new way, resulting in, in joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now, this is the spiritual discipline that you need to commit to. It's, a, it's key to fellowship with God. You need to go to Yeshua and say, Lord, I thirst. You need to admit your spiritual weakness. Uh, and it, it comes because you're not having fellowship with him. On the overhead, you're not walking fully in the light because his promises are not weighty enough to you. You're filled with pride and with ego because his commands aren't weighty enough to you. You're given to temptation because something else is more desirable to you than his love. So what you need is fellowship with him. On the overhead, how you, you, you get it through, number one, through study. And on the overhead, uh, number two, through contemplation, meditation. 
and three, enjoying his presence. So here's a practical example from the life of Martin Luther. He would do this type of prayer reading of the word that we've just been talking about. He'd take a passage of the Bible, let's say, for example, the Lord's Prayer, and he would do this meditation that we talked about, but he would do it on every single word. Not, not just every verse or every idea, but every word. So he'd start with our Father. He'd start with the word R, and he'd ask, how can I praise you, Lord, for this? He says, well, this word R, this is in the plural. It's about community. R, our Father. It shows me I have brothers and sisters in the Lord. How can I confess to you, Lord, for this? Well, do I tend to be solitary and individualistic, an independent, lone-ranger believer? I don't share enough with others. I don't fellowship enough with others. I don't pray enough with others. What can I aspire to? How is my life impoverished if I forget that I'm supposed to live in community? And so he meditated on the word R. Then he go to the word Father. He meditated on the word Father, asking the same set of questions. Then he meditated on who art in heaven. And each word he would meditate on, until the Holy Spirit, he says, would start to preach to me. And he'd write it in his journal. You can do this too. Paul, Augustine, Luther, the Puritan, John Owen, they're all talking about the same thing in terms of pursuing fellowship with God. And the Holy Spirit would glorify Yeshua in their lives as they sought him in these ways. Is this happening to you in your life? Here's a spiritual discipline you can pursue to help you in this. Paul, Augustine, Luther, John Owen, they had these glorious times of fellowship with God because they wanted it so bad. They were willing to make it a priority and a time commitment in their lives to passionately pursue it. They wanted it. How about you? How about you? How badly do you want it? That's the first reason you don't have fellowship with God, because you don't actively seek it. You don't hunger and thirst for it. But as Paul says, I'm sorry, John, John here says that's not the only reason you don't have fellowship with God. He says there are at least three main reasons why you don't have this fellowship, which he now introduces here, and he's going to discuss at length in the, rest of the whole rest of his epistle. He introduces here these three obstacles uh, with a theme. He introduces them with the theme of light and darkness. Look at 1 John 1, verse 5. This is the message we've heard from him, and we declare to you, God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. These themes of light and darkness, they're commonly used throughout Second Temple Judaism. It's a major motif in both John's gospel and his epistle. Uh, and then again, it points out how Jewish the New Testament is. Indeed, the Dead Sea Scrolls describe this apocalyptic battle between the sons of darkness and the sons of light. In the Gospel of John, Yeshua describes himself as the light of the world. Look at John 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This imagery of light and dark, it's drawn directly from the Tanakh, from the Hebrew Scriptures. Again, pointing out how Jewish the New Testament is. So, for example, light attends God's self-manifestation at Exodus, at the burning bush. In addition, God reveals himself through his word that gives light. Look at Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Light also symbolizes God's salvation. The psalmist says, God, you're my light and my salvation. As Yeshua followers, we are called to walk in the light. 
and to live in the truth. Because John 1, sorry, 1 John 1 verse 7 says this. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, uh, 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 then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of, Yeshua, of his son Yeshua cleanses us, purifies us from all sin. The Gospel of John opens by proclaiming this. Look at John 1 verse 4. In him, in Yeshua, was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. In announcing the coming of Yeshua, John is saying, light has come, life has come. For God to be light means he is the source of pure life and and perfect goodness. There's no darkness, no evil in him. Everything of God is good and is right. He's perfect. The problem is we are not. We're sinners. We're We're the sin nature. We have a bent towards disobeying God. Whenever you think or desire or speak or act in the way that God's word tells you not to think or desire or speak or act, you sin. And when you fail to think or desire or speak or act in the way God's word tells you you're supposed to think and desire and speak and act, you also sin. And what's the result? Look at the next verse, 1 John 1 verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie. And do not live out the truth. You cannot be in fellowship with a holy God while making sin your pattern of life. In contrast, pursuing holiness with God, walking in the light, maintains fellowship with God. And it shows you have been cleansed by the blood of Yeshua. So what are these three main obstacles uh, to fellowship with God that John discusses here in the rest of his epistle? On the overhead, he says, first, there's this conscience test. If you claim to have fellowship with him, but, but you don't walk in the light, in the light you're, if you're living a lifestyle of sin, if you're not walking in holiness, then you're living a lie. And you have, if you have a guilty conscience, because you know you're, you're, you're not be doing or saying or thinking or desiring to something God wants you to, that is the end of your fellowship with God. It's gone. Uh, second problem on the overhead, John says this is a relational test. Look at 1 John 1, verse 7 again. But if you walk in the light, he's in the light. as he's in the light, we have fellowship with, with who? With one another. Relational. On the overhead, are you walking in love with your fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord? Are you forgiving each other? Keeping short accounts? Are you pursuing deep relationship with other believers? John will show you your fellowship with the Lord is linked to your fellowship with one another. If you hate your brother, if you hate your sister, you cannot love God. So if you're, if you're resentful or bitter toward others, or if you're just a lone ranger believer who keeps to himself, you're blocking your fellowship with God. And the overhead now, number three, uh, it's a doctrinal test. You must embrace the gospel. You must embrace the new covenant scriptures as truth. Fellowship with God is based on truth. It's based on the Holy Spirit showing you the reality of God's word. So if you don't understand or if you reject the gospel of Yeshua, which is the core message of the Bible, you will not have fellowship with God on the overhead. So the question that should confront you is not simply whether you've committed wrongs. No. The question you need to ask yourself today is why did I, why did I do it? What led me to do it? What is in me? that maybe think of it and play with a suggestion in my mind. And there's only one answer. 
for you to admit there's something wrong with, my, with me, myself, that my nature is sinful. And Paul says in this in Romans 7, verse 18, he says, For I know that in me, in my flesh, dwells no good thing. There's an evil desire. There's something perverted in my essential being. My nature, the scriptures say, is sinful. That's why I have sinful thoughts uh, and sinful desires and sinful imaginations. There's something in my very being as a result of the fall that has twisted and perverted everything. There's a kind of fountain within me that gives rise to evil and iniquity. Not only do I do wrong, but my very nature is sinful. I must never say I have no sin. Otherwise, I'm deceiving myself and I'm a liar, John says. Now, of course, there are certain people, maybe they've grown up uh, all their life in in believing homes, uh, and they were homeschooled their whole life, and they say, I believe in God and in fellowship with him, but I've never been conscious of my sin. Uh, If you were to preach to random people in the street, yeah, I could understand that, but I've been brought up as a believer my whole life. I've always been good. Uh, I've never been conscious of the fact that I'm a sinner or that I need to repent or be converted. Well, John says, if that is you, if that's your position, you make God a liar, and his word is not in you. If you don't realize you are a sinner and in need of God's forgiveness, if you don't realize you've always needed it and you still need it, if you think you've always been pretty good and you don't realize you must repent, then John says you're making God a liar. Indeed, the more you grow and the more you mature in Messiah, the more you realize how far short you fall the more you realize how much of a sinner you really are. If you say you have no need to repent, you're proving that his word is not in you because God's word convicts you. It makes you see the necessity of the cross and Yeshua's atonement for you. So let me say this. Not to admit and confess and repent of and turn from your sin means you're still walking in darkness. And if you're living in a constant sin pattern as a behavior in your life, you say you're a believer and that you continue to walk in darkness, the Bible says you're a liar. You're pretending to be something you're not. You're lying to other people. You're lying to yourself. You're making God out to be a liar. And ultimately, you're regarding as unnecessary the cross of Messiah. You're laughing in the face of eternal love. And you're trampling underfoot the blood of the Son of God. If you're in this position, you have no fellowship with God. For God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. A lie cannot live in the presence of God. You may not be a Yeshua follower at all, if this is you. The doctrine of sin, of our sin nature, of our fallenness, is is essential to understanding the gospel. You must realize you're a sinner who must repent. But if your hope, your only hope, is not in the Messiah and his death for you, then you, then you not only have no fellowship with God, you're, you're still dwelling in darkness. But thank God John does not leave us there. Having convicted us of our sin, he goes on to tell us of God's glorious provision. Look at John, 1 John 1, verse 7 again. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Yeshua, his son, purifies us from all sin. And then verse 9, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, 
He's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what do we do? We do just do like blind Bartimaeus did. He cried out, Lord Yeshua, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that's also what he did. He sat down where he knew Yeshua was. He, well, he knew Yeshua was passing by. And today, in our midst, this right now is where Yeshua is passing by. Right here, right now. Cry out to him. Trust in him. Say with all your heart, Lord Yeshua, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he will come to you where you're at. He died and he rose again so that you would know him and you would love him and you would live for him and you would worship him. Amen. Let's stand and pray. Hallelujah. And the music team to come on up. Father, we thank you, Lord. Lord, our greatest desire is fellowship with you. Not just believing in you, but sharing in you, sharing in your very life. As incredible as that sounds, Lord Yeshua, it's only by your blood that we know this is possible. Yeshua, we we yearn to enjoy your presence and to commune with you daily and experience and to know you intimately because you are our bridegroom, our bridegroom God. Yeshua, let the truth of your gospel today shine in my heart. Holy Spirit, illuminate God's word to my mind. Glorify Yeshua. Let the word of the Lord show us the Lord of the word. Help us, Lord, not to focus on our own wounds, but on yours, Yeshua. Shine your divine light in my soul. Let me be thrilled by your word. Let me be convicted by your word. Yeshua, make yourself glorious through your word. Ruach HaKodesh, Holy Spirit, come and glorify Yeshua in my life. Make Make him more and more weighty and significant and important in my life. Help me to grasp, Lord, today how long and wide and deep and high is the love of Yeshua for me and to know that love. Lord Yeshua, capture my heart with your love. Help me daily to meditate on your word, to prayer read your word. Uh, let, me, please, let me to speak it to me, Lord, uh, and, and, and convict me and, and direct me and guide me because your word is alive and it's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it reveals the thoughts and the intentions of my heart. Lord Yeshua, help me overcome all obstacles to fellowship with you. This conscience obstacle, Lord, due to my own sin. My conscience convicted me, Lord. Help me to confess and repent. Relational obstacle, because I'm not walking in love with my fellow brothers and sisters. Lord, help me to forgive uh, and, and to remove this resentment and to walk in love. And the doctrinal obstacle, Lord, if I'm not confessing uh, and believing the truths of your gospel, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Help me, Lord, today to walk in the light as you are in the light. For I pray this in your name. Amen. Shabbat shalom.